Welcome to Laugh at the Odds podcast with Heidi and Dave. We are here to laugh at the odds and live our lives so well that death will tremble to take us. Named after this Charles Bukowski quote on the meaning of life, Laugh at the Odds is a he said, she said podcast about surviving the loss of a spouse or partner through the lens of a young interracial widowed couple. This episode, Dave and I have the honor of speaking with Michelle Neff Hernandez, who founded Soaring Spirits International in 2008, three years after losing her husband in a sudden and unexpected cycling accident. We will sit down and talk about how she turned her tragic loss and her personal need to find other widows into a mission of connecting people. This consequently created the ripple effect of a worldwide community and a nonprofit that has served over 4 million widows and widowers through various programs such as Camp Widow, Widowed Village, and Widowed Pen Pals, just to name a few. Welcome to Episode 3, Finding Your Purpose Post-Loss with Michelle Neff Hernandez. Michelle Neff Hernandez is the founder and CEO of Soaring Spirits International. Michelle founded the Soaring Spirits Resilience Center at Shriner University in Kerrville, Texas, and serves as the center's director. She is a speaker, writer, and community activist, and has received local, state, and national recognition for her work in founding Soaring Spirits. She is also the author of the upcoming book, Different After You, which will be published by New World Library in February of 2022. Michelle resides in Simi Valley, California, with her three amazing kids, one great son-in-law, and one very Australian husband. Hi, Michelle, and welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Hello, Michelle. Hi there. I'm so happy to be here. We are uh, very excited to talk to you today and learn how you turned your tragic loss into a journey of purpose-driven fulfillment towards helping other widows. I wanted to give some background on how we met, how I learned about Soaring Spirits. The summer of 2014 is when I lost my husband related to cycling. Very shortly thereafter, I was basically like you. I was craving connection. I was looking for other folks who had similar experiences. I was and am very fortunate that I have a very supportive family and group of friends, my growing group of friends, but I needed that connection, right? I needed to be around folks who understand what I was going through, but folks that would understand. And there's something I read that basically said, you know, you need to be around people who will give you permission to cry. And although my friends and family did do that, I felt like a lot of the time I had to hold back the tears for them. So I did a lot of searches online and the Honestly, the very first community I found was Widowed Village. And I registered. I was there all the time. And it was great. You know, it was wonderful. It just this whole world literally just opened up on my cell phone, (laughs) on my Mm -hmm. laptop. I just like I had this instant connection with other folks who understood me and what I was going through just instantly. And then eventually I heard about Soaring Spirits because of that website, because of widowedvillage.org. And then I kind of stayed away from Widville after a while because I did find other virtual widow groups on Facebook. What's interesting is that I learned through them about Soaring Spirits. And then folks were asking me, are you going to Camp Widow? And I'm like, what is Camp Widow? <laughs> and why would I go there? <laughs> and exactly, Camp? What? what? <laughs> Sounds fun. <laughs> exactly. So I did. I, I actually did register in 2015. And I, I believe it was you, Michelle, who sent out a message, maybe an email or, or a Facebook post asking if anyone was looking for roommates in Tampa. And I immediately responded. And you had paired me with Kelly Lynn. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so I corresponded with Kelly Lynn, um, who, by the way, is going to be a guest in, I think, one or two episodes after you. Um, Yeah, so I was paired with her. And then also she told me about a dinner that was being held in your honor because you were visiting New York, I believe, to visit your brother. Yeah, yeah. Right? So... Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was great because it was a smaller group setting. I got some one-on-one time with you. We both connected because both our losses were related to cycling. But unfortunately, I I ended up not going to camp that year. I couldn't go in 2015, but I ultimately did in 2018. And that is definitely one of the best experiences of my life. It It was great. It was great. I'm so glad to hear that. My whole purpose initially was to create Camp Widow. I... After Phil, my husband Philip died on August 31st, 2005, and I 
like you, Heidi, I had a great, my family's amazing. I had tons of support. I was not a person who, you know, and I'm sure you both have met people who you just, your heart hurts because they just don't have anybody. There's no family. They don't have friends, you know, they're, they're struggling because they're so alone. That was not my experience. I was surrounded all the time, but they did not know what to do with me. (laughs) I didn't know what to do with myself and they did not know what to do with me. And and so I just wanted to meet other widowed people. So I imagined that I was going to write a book. And so I started doing interviews. I just would, anybody I knew who knew somebody who was widowed to be like, do you think they let me talk to them? And I went with 50 questions. I had these 50 questions. They were all very practical. Like, what do you do with the shoes? Did you put up pictures? Did you take them down? Where'd you sleep? Did you sleep in the bed? Did you not sleep in the bed? Mm-hmm. You know, I just had 50 questions and they were all really like practical. I just need to know this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And what happened was after a year of doing those interviews, I did 30 interviews over a one year period of time all across the United States, as it turned out, which was not on purpose. It just was like, oh, you live in Indiana? I could go to Indiana. <laughs> so <laughs> I would knock on their door. Strangers, they probably thought it was completely out of my mind. But so these were face-to-face interviews? Yep. Oh, wow. Friday. Wow. I did face-to-face interviews. And I just said, like, out loud to my community, you know, my friends and my family, I'm like, I would like to interview people who were widowed. And so someone would say like, well, my, you know, my very first interview, the first one I did, my, one of my dear friends, her mother was widowed. She was, I think Connie must've been about 75 at the time. At this time I'm 35. So she's 40 years older than me. Her husband and she were married for more than 50 years. I was married to Phil for five. He died of a very long-term illness, which began with a stroke and stretched out over five years. And Phil was dead, you know, within half an hour. And so I thought, okay, this is going to be great. I will be easy because we won't have anything in common. And I will be able to just like test out my questions and kind of see how it goes. And she was finishing my sentences. And it was the first time I realized like this experience is so big that it doesn't have to be exactly the same for it to matter that you could be in community. I really thought we were going to have like not one single thing in common. And she knew, understood me for the first time better than anybody else. This was only four months after Phil died. In the four months prior to that, no one else had understood me like she did. And I was just blown away. I cried all the way home. So that was the beginning of like this sort of weird windy road. I went to Alaska. I went to, um, I interviewed, I don't know if you're familiar. It's a country band, um, little big town. And one of the members of that band, right. It was sort of right before they hit kind of their upwards, uh, upwards spike. And one of the members of that band was widowed. And my sister heard about them on NPR, sent them a message. Somehow I ended up with a phone interview with her. And and, and my whole goal with the interview was for her to understand that we had way more to talk about. Like there was no way we could do it in the 20 minutes that her publicist gave me. (laughs) And so they invited me to come to a concert in Iowa. And so um, on my birthday, which is December 29th. So it was a, it ended up being a New Year's Eve concert. I'm Mm -hmm. standing at the side of the stage. I interview her in her dressing room. Mm -hmm. And um, then after that, they go on to win a bunch of Grammys. And, you know, it's just, it was a crazy experience, but it was a year long of like seeking other widowed people. That's all I wanted. I wanted other widowed people. And at the end of it, I thought I would write a book. Mind you, this was 15, yeah, 15 years ago now. Instead of a book, I realized what I really wanted was to bring all those people I'd interviewed together. And that sort of was the impetus for this idea of Camp Widow. What would it be like? So I, you know, I thought, well, okay, that'd be hard because scheduling and where would we meet? They came from all over the US. And I thought, well, what if it could just be anybody? What if it could just be any widowed person and we could come together and we could talk about the things that I've been talking about with these people over the last year. And so, you know, the workshop sort of formed around the questions and, you know, I reached out to people and sort of begging. (laughs) And so um, in 2009, the first uh, event was called the National Conference on Widowhood because I wanted people to take it seriously. What I didn't realize was that um, nobody wanted to take it very seriously seriously one and right. two people were like is that like an academic conference because that doesn't sound good but despite the name 79 brave souls showed up in san diego wow. where you may have heard this story before heidi but um dave i booked 800 hotel rooms wow for, and i signed for those personally oh my god <laughs> <laughs> so here i have 79 people for my 800 hotel rooms very ambitious mm-hmm, very ambitious <laughs> turned out not to be the very best decision but because of sort of 
combination of things, I ended up owing the hotel only $15,000, Oh my God! which let me just say that on the Wednesday before camp, Wednesday before the event started, it was at $68,000. They didn't tell me, thank God, because I'm not sure if I could have made it through the weekend if they did. But at the end, it was 15,000 because basically what happens is you have to sell out the hotel. So right. There happened to be a gay pride event that weekend and I praise the LGBTQ community because they filled up that hotel and I didn't end up being on the hook. So $15,000 at the end of the event, I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I said to the uh, sales director, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I want to do it again. And I don't know how I'm going to pay you back that $15,000. I might have to sell t-shirts and that might take a while, but I am going to, I am going to pay you back. And I do really want to do it again. And so he said, well, let me talk to my team. You know, we'll see how it goes. And the next week he called and he said, we've decided to forgive the debt and we have dates for your next event because of what they witnessed in the interactions between the widowed people that we had at Camp Widow. And so, you know, the next year we changed the name or actually that year on the bus, somebody said, I went to camp and my, my daughter went to camp and I went to camp too. And somebody else said, what camp did you go to? She's like, Camp Widow. And I was like, okay, the Camp Widow was born. (laughs) Yep, it did. It stuck. And so here we are, you know, I don't know, 27, I guess, events later, including now two virtual ones because thank you COVID. Yes. So It's just been an incredible gift to be able to share stories with so many different widowed people on the one hand, and also to to witness the interactions and the connections that are instantaneous in a way that I have witnessed few other things ever being. You know, it's like when you know that the person you're talking to has also come back to their bed at night where they used to share with their person and now they're in there alone or they're not sleeping in the bed because they don't want to be anywhere near it. Right. Like you share that then whatever other things might make you different are suddenly not so important. Exactly. Exactly. So you've been creating programs for the widow community since 2008. What have you learned from working with them, with us for 13 years? One of the things that I've learned is that the thing is most important is for widowed people to have the opportunity to connect naturally. And so while Camp Widow does offer a variety of resources that are targeted to what we have learned over the years are things that people want to talk about, including love, of course, Yes, um, is that they also want the opportunity just to be able to be in community, to talk, to have dinners. I've, you know, another thing they've taught me is that not to make the assumption that people who are widowed are always sad. Right. You know, there's always that sense for people. They're like, oh, that's what you do. No, that's so sad. And I'm like, if you could only see them dancing on the dance floor, it can't oh you might right. change your mind. <laughs> you know, and to have the opportunity to have the levity within the, within. Mm-hmm. And I think actually that part of the Camp Widow experience that is that people find so powerful is that levity, is that they get the chance to be freely you know, just open about dancing and enjoying something without everyone around them thinking, oh, good, you're over it. Okay, thank goodness. You know, they must not have loved that person that much because look at those dance moves. So, you know, yeah, exactly. And and it's such a powerful healing agent. People forget, you know, that the, the only healing agent isn't tears. You know, laughter is a healing agent as well. And that has certainly been a lesson um, I've learned from working with widowed people for, for almost, I guess we're going to be coming on 20 years before I know it. Wow. Absolutely. Yeah. It's interesting because we have our local widow group um, in New Jersey and New York. And that's actually how Dave and I met. Yeah. People have asked me, why do you love your wid tribe so much? You know, why do you always hang out with them and create these events? Do you guys sit around and cry all the time? And I'm like, absolutely <laughs> not. And I post photos on Facebook, both in our Facebook group and just on my own page. Whenever we, ha- we go out, we have meetups, we have dinners, happy hours, um, because a lot of us work in the city. And people see, first of all, how diverse we are, mm-hmm. um, diverse in ethnicity, race, and age, and backgrounds, and that we're having fun. And I tell people, you know, like, yeah, we're having fun. But if I or Dave ends up, you know, talking about something and a grief wave comes over and we end up crying in our martini, it's perfectly okay. But Mm -hmm. I would say 99% of the time we're fine. And, you know, again, there's no judgment. We feel very welcome. We feel, we feel at home with each other. Yeah. I also think that the interesting thing is that when you develop relationship with people at a time, like in your midst of your widowhood, Mm -hmm. there's no masks, there's no falsehood. There's just like real depth and you meet each other in a place that's so rare for people 
to meet as, you know, the first time I've ever met you, Heidi, and what are we talking about? Our dead husbands, you know, and the, and the accidents that killed them and the cycling, you know, you know, and how we feel about cycling. Like those are big conversations that you, that your friends might hesitate to have Mm -hmm. for fear of what that feelings might bring for you and for them. And so when you're with your widowed people, those are not off topic. They're, they're the things that you share. And when you make, when you, you create a relationship that's forged by that kind of honesty, mm-hmm. then moving forward, this is the part that's my favorite is that you're living life together now and yes. you're living life together with a foundation that's created by this bond like no other. And so now the honesty is a part of who you are. It's a part of your friendship. It's a part of, you know, and again, you get to both own your past, live your present, and also welcome your future with people who are doing the same. It's a very, very powerful bond. Yeah. There's an automatic comfort level there. Yeah. You know, I mean, when you, when you talk to somebody who's not a widow and you tell them what happened, you know, they, they recoil sometimes and they don't know what to say. And it's, and it's can be awkward sometimes when you're talking to another widow, they immediately get it. They put their hand on your shoulder and, and then they tell you what happened to them. And you just immediately go back and forth. And it's, there's the comfort levels so different. Yeah. yeah. I think it's emotionally, it's emotionally courageous. Yes. Yeah. And that's a part, you right. know, that people don't understand. And also it's a part of exactly why our families and friends are trying to be tender with us because it's like, how courageous am I allowed to be? But when the person across from you is in an equally tenuous position yes. and you both choose to be emotionally courageous, then, you know, you get the opportunity to bond in a way that you don't, unless you're able to take the masks off and be able to process the really hard stuff. That's just a regular part of our everyday, right? It's a part of a widowed person's everyday. Yeah, I agree. I mean, authenticity and the permission to be authentic around people create a really strong bond, right? Mm-hmm. You know, in our normal lives, we wear different masks depending on who we're around. So at work, here's professional Heidi, <laughs> you know, around my family, maybe my nephews and nieces. Here's the fun Tita, Tita is auntie, Tita Heidi. And, you know, but with my widowed friends, it's, they know, they know how broken I was, Mm-hmm. They, they've seen my healing, they've seen my progress, and it's okay if I stumble here and there, but they understand. So it's, it's so uh, refreshing to be around people around whom you don't have to wear any type of mask. It's amazing. It's one of the warnings I give people when they leave Camp Widow. I don't know if you remember it. Right. But it's like, you know, we spent a whole weekend here, you know, it may not seem like long 48 hours of no mask. And when mm-hmm. you go home, putting it back on hurts. You know, it's hard because you're like, wait, okay, right. I'm not in that anymore where everything I say at any moment is okay. And that I might spurt something out that someone starts laughing hysterically or someone else says totally me too. (laughs) You lose, you know, so, so the shift back away from being in community like that takes a little bit of time and energy and makes people, we call it camp crash. Exactly. Crash when they get home and they're like, what did I just do? Uh, Because putting that mask on is hard. I mentioned that today, Camp Crash, that's actually in our list of questions for you. Um, And I I actually deleted it. But yeah, that definitely that is what, you know, the biggest contributing factor to Camp Crash is just, I guess, the end of the need. (laughs) Actually, sorry, the beginning of the need to wear a mask again, you know, because Camp Widow is over. Yeah. Well, and we also talk about the fact that you go from workshop to workshop and it's like, you know, if you have your attic full of boxes, you've opened this box in this workshop and this box in that workshop. And then when you get home, you're like, oh, my boxes are open. Like, <laughs> I what can't do I do with all of these boxes? at the same time. So, you know, it's a process of realizing like you, you've expressed and experienced some really big things. You're yes. processing with yes. new people. You're taking in new ideas at the very same time as you're being surrounded by this like envelope of freedom that yes. comes from being able to be who you are in the moment, whether that, as you said, is crying or laughing, whether that's dancing or furiously taking notes because the presenter is talking exactly about what you want to learn about grieving in children. You know, it's, it's this toggle between the two. And by the time you get home, it's kind of a whirlwind. But what I always remind people of is the tools that you got there, you may not need today, but eight months from now, something's going to happen. And you're going to be like, Oh, yes, I know what to do with this, because that's exactly what I heard that presenter say, or that person at camp told me that thing. And so even if you get back, and you can't immediately because people often say, Okay, well, you went to Camp Widow, are you fixed? 
Like, you know, your family members <laughs> like, okay, well, oh the whole God. weekend with widowed people, what did you get out of that? And you're like, uh, well, I have a headache because I have a hangover. <laughs> yeah. My feet hurt because I danced a lot and my cheeks hurt from smiling. And they're like, I don't know what just happened. Like, I thought you were going somewhere to get therapy. And so <laughs> at the end though, what you get is you get the whole package and you also get to keep those tools and resources that you accessed at a time when you might not yet need them. But then of course, that's the other part that's so beautiful about your widowed tribe is that they remind you of the yes. things that you need and they share those experiences with you. And when you find yourself up in a corner where you're like swamped in grief and you don't think you can do it, they're like, yes, you can. And you know that you can trust them and, and that they have seen you and that they do see you. And that, that value, what people leave with camp, my hope is always that they leave at least with one person with whom they've shared a connection that's strong enough that they're going to be able to remind you when it gets really hard that you're capable. Exactly. I was telling Dave that towards the end of Camp Widow, you bring people together physically, right, in tables together. So we know who actually lives in Middlesex County, New Jersey, for example. Mm. And when we go home, we continue that relationship that we established during camp. Um, and also the way I view Camp Widow is we all come with a toolbox for grief and we go and we go through these different workshops and we learn different tools. We put them in our toolbox. And like you said, as soon as we get home, we don't necessarily want remember every single tool that we learn or that we acquired at camp. Um, but it's there, right? It's there available. So when you come to a situation later on, five, six, seven months down the line, and you need some sort of tool or grief coping mechanism, you go into your toolbox. Oh, yeah, I remember, you know, I, I heard the speaker or this, um, this author talk about this at Camp Widow in this specific um, workshop. And I always remember the people, the names. And if I don't remember exactly what I learned, I Google them. And usually they have different communities also. So it's, it's great. Definitely kind of like a highway, you know, we get connected to all these different mm -hmm. people and tools and everything. It's great. You and I have to go. <laughs> I, I was just gonna say, I want to go. <laughs> how many, I know you said you have, you had about 79 people at the first event. How many people do you generally have now uh, year after year? And, and also I was thinking, how is COVID affecting your events now? Two great questions. So yeah. depending on location, um, I will say that for 2021, we were able to hold one single camp and it was a pop-up camp. So we had just launched a new program, which is a one day camp that's yeah. held either for a specific population or in a new location for us in order to make the Camp Widow program, which is held three times a year in three different locations more accessible. So that was our plan for 2020. 2020 had a whole different you know, plan right. for us as it turns out. But we were able to hold one camp on the campus of the Los Angeles Gay and Lesbian Center. So we first we did our first ever LGBTQ specific community pop-up camp, and it was incredible. So for general camps, it, our longest standing camp is in San Diego, California, and that one usually has somewhere around 400 people. Wow. Um, and then in Tampa, Florida, we're usually around 300-ish, depends. And then Toronto is sneaking right up on them with about getting close to 300 as well. So our longest standing is San Diego. Then we moved, actually moved to Myrtle Beach. I don't know, Heidi. If you oh, wow. I didn't that. know that. Yeah. We did Myrtle Beach for two years, um, which was a gorgeous location, but difficult to get to. And so we didn't right. see the growth and, you know, it was making it really hard for our widowed people to get there. So mm -hmm. We moved to Tampa. We've been there six years. And then Toronto was our first outside of the U.S. camp location. Um, this year in 2021, we'll have a Camp Widow in Australia. Yes. So we'll be in Brisbane. Um, yeah, in That's May. That's amazing. That's amazing. Well, and, you know, fingers crossed for all the COVID things because we've been trying to figure it out. But um, Australia's numbers are significantly different than the U.S. And so um, at this point, we're still on that. We were supposed to do that camp in 2020. So that one was canceled. But we are still making our way through 2021 to know for mm. sure what the schedule is going to look like and taking our events sort of one at a time to make sure we can hold them safely. Um, but in the meantime, we've done two to answer that other part of your question, Dave, we've done two virtual camps. So Right. right before we were scheduled to be in Tampa, mm -hmm. Florida is when the numbers in Florida spiked. Right. And it became a thing where people were yes. being, you know, it was a, a closed down a, across the board. And so we were just, it was not possible to hold it in Tampa. So we, in nine days, we did a turnaround, um, turned the whole thing into a virtual event. We held the virtual event as wow. at the same time as the regular event would have been held. And mm -hmm. then as the year progressed, we realized 
we could give people another opportunity and to try to figure out how to create the interaction we talked about. Like, how do you create an interaction virtually, right. hold Jones. the events, do, you know, so we, we did a revised version, which is still available. So people can, can participate in the recorded version of Camp Widow Virtual at any time and have access to, I think, 70 different workshops that are oh, pre-recorded. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, and we give people access through the end of the year. That price is $249 mm-hmm. in order to be able to access those for the whole year. Right. What we loved about it was the recording element because widow brain. <laughs> it's like, yeah, so absolutely. yeah, it's like, <laughs> and one and two, when you're in person, you can only choose certain workshops to attend. Yes. Yeah. Um, but virtually, obviously you can do all of them if you yeah. wanted to. And so there's definitely been COVID has opened our virtual program in a really new way mm-hmm. and given us the opportunity to serve more broadly internationally. We've right. always served internationally. Most of our programs have been accessed. I think the last count was 153 countries wow. in 153 different countries. We also have a, a full COVID program right now. And that COVID program um, regularly has people attend from five countries, just, you know, the need is there. And it's the same sort of thing, right? Like there's something about this COVID widowed experience that's so unique yes. yeah. that being able to be in, in community with other people who've experienced, right. you know, the very unique elements of a death through COVID-19 have created some beautifully powerful bonds. I mean, you can imagine, you both know what it looks like, you know, it's yes. that plus add the pandemic to the top of it. It also provided us an opportunity to be able to express to people how important, like how isolating grief is in general. Mm -hmm. So then when you add a pandemic to it and and people's regular avenues for support are cut off, so many of our widowed people experienced what they felt like was a backstep in their grief because their coping mechanisms that they had built up around them were no longer available. They couldn't go out with their friends for happy hour. They couldn't go to the gym. They couldn't go to their dance class. You know, everything they did to build a new life felt like it got wiped out. And if that new life did not include a new partner, and for many of them, it didn't yet, or it won't, you know, then they're home alone, in addition, and or parenting children on their own while doing virtual school and trying to work. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's just been a really unique time for widowed people in particular. And um, of course, there are people being added to our ranks every day. And so our mission for Soaring Spirits is always to serve those people who are coming up behind us and to create a community where they will feel welcome, or they will feel inspired. They see people like you guys doing this and having found a way to make space for both of your past spouses while loving each other, while serving the widowed community. It's something for them to look at and say, okay, see, it's possible. Not only can I survive this, but look, there's people doing things that look like they are actually happy. And so, uh, (laughs) you know, that's something you remember. I know you both do where it's like, no, that's not possible. People are not happy after this. (laughs) I I definitely went through a phase. (laughs) How is that a thing? So it's a beautiful thing to be able to be in community to both serve those people who are coming after us and share with them what has worked for us and what we know has worked for other people to build resilience necessary to care about your life, to build a life you want to live again, and to take the risk that's necessary, right? You know, when you were talking about the laughing at the odds quote, it made me just think about the fact that we as widowed people take very specific risks and, and while we yes. did it the first time, we did it unintentionally or, or maybe with unconsciously. And now it's like, okay, if I'm going to love you and you have a heartbeat, there's a problem here. The problem yes. is that there is an end to this and I know it and I know what that end feels like. And so when I make that conscious choice to love, I do it with a very different, sort of a different mindset. And I think also a different intensity. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's a great point you made about we went through such a horrible situation when our when we lost our spouse and we had at least hopefully in most cases our family and friends there coming to our house keeping us company hugging us holding us everything like that to have this happen during a pandemic has got to be absolutely horrible I can't even imagine as if it isn't horrible enough to not have anybody there to be you know communities anybody there to hug you and hold you and you doing this and having this virtual avenue available is I'm sure a big help to all these COVID widows. Yeah. And the other thing that's unique for them is that people who, whose spouse or partner died by COVID-19, they hear the word every day. 
It's like me hearing right. bike accident every day. As do, <laughs> like, as do we. It's a constant right. trigger. Right, right, right. right? Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. And it's right. constant, like never ending. And people speak about it in ways like they're in inconvenience, which they are, or their life has been changed, which it has. But when your life has been changed in such a significant and, yes. you know, irreversible way, mm-hmm. then, you know, th- it feels trite for anybody to complain about missing their concert. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, right. or even having to work at home or even my partner is driving me crazy like all of those things and so for them to have that unique group in order to be able to process that because in many ways they recognize it they realize like yes COVID has impacted everyone but it feels like for us that your inconvenience is should not be compared to mine and to be able for them to have that with each other has been a powerful way I think for them to process some difficult realities of living through a pandemic on the one hand and then experiencing a death by that pandemic on the other. I was also wondering at Camp Widow, uh, are some of your guests repartnered, remarried? And do you notice a difference between those who have repartnered and those who haven't? I love that question. First of all, the first time uh, we did a, a Camp Widow, we, I'm trying to think of any, we had any partners present. I can't remember if we had any partners present, but I always had the intention that partners would be welcome for this important reason, which is for me, your widowhood lasts your lifetime. You will never forget the lessons that your widowhood taught you. I mean, we may forget them temporarily, but they'll come back and remind us. Um, You're always going to grieve the person you loved. And so our widowhood is a lifetime experience. It's not something that ends when we repartner. And so to set up an event where people can't bring their new person to me seemed always like putting an end cap to the grief experience, which was not true for me. And at that, right. And at that point I was just recently engaged. And so I had a new partner. I recognized that didn't change my love for my dead husband. And he was, is, I did marry him. So that worked out. Um, But he (laughs) is a wonderful, like he, you know, what he said to me the very first time we met when we were talking about, I was like, look, here's the thing, widow. And not only that, but I work (laughs) with widows and it's not going away. So if that scares you in any way, you should run now. Yes. He said, you know, he said, the thing that boggles my mind is that people are allowed to love their grandma after she dies and nobody ever thinks twice about it. In fact, they probably think you're the sweetest thing ever because you still remember grandma, but you're not allowed to love your dead spouse. Exactly. Like that's weird, super weird. On, and there's right? something wrong with you. Yes, you're supposed to move on. So yeah. I will say though, that it can be complicated. So the answer is yes. People who are repartnered are welcome. Their new partners are also welcome. We provide programming for new partners um, if they are not widowed themselves. So other people, so for the two of you, right, you could go attend to whatever workshops you want. Both being widowed, you would both have your own frame of reference. For people who have new partners that are not widowed, we provide programming to help bring the experience for them Mm. and also to put them in community with people who have also had that experience. And so I have had, so one time someone said to me, Michelle, what, like, why do you do that? Why do you let people come here who are repartnered? And I said, well, my first question for you is who would run this if we didn't? <laughs> because that's, you know, it's like, you're talking to someone who is that person. Yeah. I am that person. Yeah. And if I am that person and it's okay for me, then that means that every other person who is like me and in that they have a new person in their life that they love why would I lock them out and I've had so many people over the years be a part of support groups that have an end date and then it's like well one person I know specifically when she got engaged they asked her to leave the group because the group was not and I and on the programmatic side of me the part of me that runs an organization that provides programming understands that the purpose of a group can shift away if the needs of the people in the group are not the same. And so in that circumstance, she needed something different than the group might be maybe needed, but she felt so like, what? Like, these are my people. Like I, I don't have access to my people anymore. So in that circumstance, she was forced to trade her widowed community for this new person. That's terrible. As if she wasn't going to need her widowed community. Who else could understand what it would be like to be repartnered and be widowed than your widowed community. Like that is what you need more than ever, in my opinion, because 
repartnering has its challenges and being yes. able to know that there are other people who struggled in the same way and that that doesn't mean it's not a good thing. You know, just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not good. It's just you need that reinforcement that other people have had a hard time or that other people have walked through that challenge. And how did they walk through that challenge? And what did they do about the pictures? And, you know, how did they decide whether or not to adopt the child? Like there's a million questions that come up that only other widowed people could answer. Yes. And and so for Camp Widow, Camp Widow is an environment for any widowed person, partnered, not partnered, married, not married. People always lose their mind over that, but it doesn't, yes. you know, for me, it's about the fact that the widowed experience lasts your lifetime. And if that is true, then I need to make space for everyone. And so the way we deal with that is we attempt to create programming that's specific to time frame. So you'll see there's programming for newly widowed people. We define that as someone who's been married less than a year for recently widowed people. And that's between one and three years. And then we call them our middle widows. And those are three to five years. And, you know, that's the time when you're really trying to put it all back together. It's like, okay. And it's right. It's a messy kind of time. Cause you're like yeah. pulling pieces in and you're still dealing with grief and you're still, and then we have our seasoned widows when we did Camp Widow at our LGBTQ pop-up. So we were so fortunate to have Nate Burkus join us as our keynote speaker. And I told him about seasoned widows and he goes, that sounds like we need some salt and pepper. (laughs) (laughs) But that's our five plus year group. Mm -hmm. And in that group, they're trying to make meaning out of this Mm -hmm. and they're building a life they love and they're oftentimes interested in giving back. And so the programming you can see for any of those groups is going to be different based on what they need. And so what we do is we provide programming for each one of those groups. And then we add to that self-care. We add to that trauma for people who have experienced a severely traumatic loss. And then we have another track, which is for people who are the uh, loves of support supporters of grievers is what we call it. So like, let's say people sometimes come with their mom or their sister or, um, you know, or their new partner. So depending on who's coming with as a support person, we offer programming to kind of frame that for them. Because if we can set the expectation that widowhood is a lifetime experience without making people think that means we're going to grieve in the same way we did the first year through our entire life, because that's their fear, right? Like you're going to be broken forever and it's never going to get better. And the truth is you are going to be broken forever in that way. And that is where your power comes from. And if you can be around people who know that, then you became able to develop that. And then you build lean on it, count on it. It is by far the thing that has changed my life more significantly than anything else, both in a very, very difficult way and in a very positive way. And, you know, it's hard to hear that in your early stages of widowhood. It's really empowering to know that later. Sure. Um, Let's switch gears. Tell us about Soaring Spirits Resilience Center and what type of research is being done there? Can you speak to that? Absolutely. I'm super excited about that. And that came from, here's exactly where it came from, is that many times people will be, um, do self-assessments and the assessments are supposed to help you figure out, right? How resilient are you? Or where are you in this process? And all of those So we were, I was working with a grad student who was um, working on her thesis for her PhD. And she kept sending me these questions. And I'm like, who as a widowed person is going to respond yes to, I seek to replace all the losses in my life. Okay, well, if a person, how am I supposed to replace that? Another thing was, I believe that everything in my life ultimately turns out for the best. Uh, Hmm. I don't know about that. Hmm. And so they kept (laughs) sending me these questions. And I was like, Carrie... Uh, this is Dr. Carrie West, who is actually now our research director. But um, I was like, Carrie, people, I know they're supposed to answer yes to that, but they're not going to answer yes to that and feel good about it. And so the more we did this, the more we were like, you know, we really need, we need a resilience scale for widowed people that's designed to ask you questions you want to answer yes Mm -hmm. to. Like I can laugh every day. And even if you aren't able yet to do that, you can see why you'd want to, Mm -hmm. but I can't see why I'd want to replace all the losses in my life because that would mean I'm supposed to replace Phil somehow. And so we shaped a completely based, we were so fortunate. Our community has been so interested and excited about answering questions. We were able to survey 1800 widowed people I was one of them. (laughs) Yay, Heidi. I mean, it was, but you know, all of every single one made a difference. And I'll tell you what, I had no idea. First of all, 
I run a research center and I was never in any way interested in research until it became <laughs> clear to me how powerful it was when we can tell our story through numbers. Yes. And prior to this, there just isn't any young widowed research. You know, there are AARP studies, which as I stated in the beginning, my first experience was with a 75 year old widow who understood me better than anyone else. So I don't discount that research, but it doesn't take into account parenting. It doesn't take into account a different type of repartnering. Like there's so much that's different that it doesn't speak to exactly the experience that a younger widowed person would have. And so um, when we, when I started this research project, they were like, okay, well, if we could get, I said, how many is a lot? Like, I have no idea. How many widowed people do you want me to get to answer this question? And they said, well, you know, some samples are 50. I was like 50? that like, that's a good sample. 250 would be really good. And so to have 1800 was like blown. Every person who's ever actually looked at our research, every researcher has been like, how did you do this? How did you get all of this? This is crazy. Um, but in, in my experience, it's because widowed people want to help widowed people. And they oh, were sorry. willing to answer those questions because if it was going to help another widowed person, they were willing to do it. And so what came of that is a new scale. It's called the Widowed Resilience Scale. It's available for free on the Soaring Spirits website, as well as the um, Soaring Spirits Resilience Center website. And it is designed to do two things. First of all, to ask those questions in a different way and to set up a definition for resilience, which resonates with widowed people, which they can say, yes, I want to be resilient in that way. The second piece is, you know, remembering back to your early widowhood and you're like, I've got like this one inch of energy to spend today. Mm -hmm. Where should I spend that where I can get the most bang for my buck? And so that is the purpose of the scale is to say, okay, I'm not really struggling in my day-to-day -day efficacy. Let's say I always did all the chores and I always did all the things. And I feel very confident about being able to manage things, but my support network is very small. Mm -hmm. So we would then say, focus getting your support network to expand. Now I've got two inches of energy. Where's the next wow. place to spend that? So the assessment mm -hmm. is supposed to help you identify where to first put your energy, then where mm -hmm. to second put your energy. And in the midst of that building resilience, building confidence, building, utilizing tools that we know through research. So we paired our own research. We also used people's exact wording, like phrasing, so that people who, to, to really reflect the widowed experience, we wanted to actually use people's words. So when we read them, I was like, I feel like they're talking to me. I feel like these questions are speaking to me. And it's because they were, it was all of our widowed people speaking through these, through, we, we took out common phrases, but we also paired it with current research on resilience, general resilience. So it's not just us thinking this is how we know resilience works. It's the combination of the widowed experience paired with the current data on the current research on building resilience. And so when we toggled those two together, we came up with some targeted areas that were most important for widowed people. It was like choosing between your children. Let me just say, like, what is more important between identity or relationships? Like, you know, having to cut out questions, but I'm super proud of what we've come up with. And it was published, believe it or not, we don't, you don't have any say in when something would be published or obviously if, mm -hmm. but Omega Journal of Death and Dying is one of the most well-respected mm -hmm. journals in, in the U.S., even somewhere in the world. Carrie says to me, well, we could go for Omega, but I don't know. What do you think? And I was like, go big or go home. Let's mm -hmm. do it. Um, and we weren't sure. You know, we'd never submitted anything before. It was a brand, like we're a teeny tiny research center in Kerrville, Texas. And they they chose it. And they not only did they choose it, they chose it in record time. So it, within three months, we had had an acceptance. We couldn't believe it. They sent it back for some restructuring. So we did the restructuring. Then we just wait and wait. And it ended up being published on September 11th. That's amazing. So amazing. September 11th, 2019. What was the intended use or application of this? Or do you know how it has been applied? Is it used in a clinical setting to assess um, patients or clients? So we're making it broadly available for people to use it in whichever way works best for them. Our intent was twofold. It was first to be able to be used in within widowed communities, wherever they lie. So obviously for our Soaring Spirits community. And then secondly, a portion of what we hope still to do with it, COVID definitely has shifted our, our attention for the year. But um, the other thing we hope to do is offer trainings to 
professionals who work with widowed people so that first responders, so that hospice workers, doctors in particular, like who will have more of a sense of what the widowed experience is like and also provide to their patients and to their clients the opportunity to use this. So we do offer the scoring so that if it's used in a professional setting, they do have our scoring as well to be able to understand better, you know, how to use the scale and for what purpose. So it's important to us that it's, that it gets out as broadly as possible. And it's been actually, um, we've had requests for use in a couple of different countries. And certainly as like word starts getting out, we were supposed to present it actually at the ADAC conference, uh, Association of Death Education and Counseling, um, but the conference turned virtual. 2020 mm-hmm. happened. So mm-hmm. there's still there's still much, much to be done with the resilience scale. But one of the best comments actually we've heard was that actually it was at virtual camp. Someone said, yeah, I use that, you know, to kind of test myself to see where I am. So she takes it and then comes back six months later, takes it again. And that's exactly what we had hoped would be the outcome is that people could say, how far have I come? Let me see where I am. Let me see what it suggests for me now. So you can take the survey and submit it on our website. It'll come back with your suggestion. So it would say, Heidi, here's your top three. You know, you have this much energy, start at the top. And then when you build more energy, go to number two, then go to number three, and then it continues to um, give you the opportunity to come back. So we're really proud of it. And it was a culmination of feeling so misunderstood and looking at what was around and saying, this is not a fit for us. Mm -hmm. And having the ability to do something about it was really, really incredible. That's amazing. Sounds outstanding. Yeah. I would love for you guys to take a look at it. It's really, I mean, you know, and the thing is, it's simple. It's easy. It's not, you know, it's something for people to be, but, but our key, like the key element was how do widowed people define resilience? Because if we are setting definition ourselves without asking the people we serve, Mm -hmm. then we are making assumptions about what it is that they want and what it is they need. And so that was our goal. We asked widowed people to define resilience. This is what they told us. And so to be able to read it and feel so much like we, they were speaking right to me. I was like, we, you know, that felt like the biggest success was reading those reading those questions once we narrowed it down to the few that we have and being so overcome by feeling like this is our language. This is what resilience means. That's how you continue to help people. You listen to them, right? Absolutely. And if you don't, then you're building programs for yourself, right? For the people that you serve. Right. Absolutely. Is there a link from the Soaring Spirits website? There absolutely is. It's on the homepage. You can go straight to actually the uh, resilience scale. It'll ask you if you'd like to take the survey. Perfect. Okay, tell us about your upcoming book, Different After You. Well, that's it's, it's a new project. I'm it's it's a new project that's 15 years in the making. <laughs> love the title. Love the title, by the way. Thank you, yeah. thank you very much. Yeah, so I started as I said. I started this with the intent of writing a book. Well, this uh, is that book, huh? <laughs> it is not that book, but it is it is that book, and it is right, right, and right. what it is is the culmination of understanding how badly widowed people wanted to go back to the person they used to be. Mm -hmm. And they don't, are not encouraged really to adopt and, and really embody the person they became through the process. And this book different after you is about that. It's about embodying this new you and giving that new you the respect and the honor and the celebration they deserve they were born into a really, really difficult time (laughs) and, you know, and often with no resources and without any fanfare and then just given a really heavy burden and said, start onward you go. And Mm -hmm. so this book is designed to help people integrate their past with their present and their future instead of trying to push that past out, which we are as widowed people so often encouraged to do move on, leave it behind you, you know, leave your past in the rear view mirror, but the truth is that our power was born in that experience and that the transition that we make gives us the opportunity, as we've talked about, to use tools and resources that will serve us the rest of our lives. And so Different After You is acknowledging the difference that grief and death and tragedy creates in us and then embodying it, owning it and rocking it. Nice. That's awesome. 
Can't wait to I'm read it. I'm excited about it. I'm really excited for people to, to get it in their hands. And as I said, I mean, in some ways in my head, I've been writing this book for 15 years. And <laughs> right. finally, I decided, like, I guess I better actually really do it. So here we are. Um, yeah, I'm excited. New World Library will be publishing it. I think we'll be able to see pre-orders coming out at the end of this year. And oh, awesome. then, um, it'll be on site at Camp Widow in March. So that's exciting, too. Can't wait. I'll be first in line <laughs> to get it. Awesome. I'm all excited about that. <laughs> All right. Well, we're, we're kind of winding up the interview here. Really appreciate having you on. You've been amazing. Our theme question that we asked all of our guests is our podcast is named after the Charles Bukowski quote on the meaning of life. We're here to laugh at the odds and live our lives so well that death will tremble to take us. What does laughing at the odds mean to you? And how do you laugh at the odds? I love that quote. And I have been thinking about this question. And I want to say that there's a twofold answer for me. The first one is that if I did not laugh at the odds, soaring spirits would not exist. At every turn, there was a reason not to go forward, including having rented 800 hotel rooms. (laughs) Um, And yet I allowed my passion for this work to carry me when nothing else really did. And so that's the first piece of it. And the second piece is personal. And I know that you two will understand this uh, as well as I do. And that is, you know, I continue to live this life knowing that everybody I love is human. And that, you know, even uh, my fur babies are have a heartbeat. And so I know that there is an end time to the amount of love and energy I'm going to be able to put into this lifetime. And I'm determined to get every single bit of it out and and leave behind a legacy of love that will because now we know that that's the only thing that lasts. And so, you know, if we can create a legacy behind us of love that is so rich and deep that it's still a part of people's lives years later than I feel like we've lived the best life we can. Beautiful. That's amazing. All right. So as Dave said, our conversation is coming to a close. Um, Michelle, how can our listeners find out more about you and Soaring Spirits and your various projects? Well, they can find everything they could possibly want about Soaring Spirits at soaringspirits.org. So that's going to have everything. Camp Widow, Widowed Village, all of the programs we've mentioned, including the Resilience Center, can be found on our homepage, soaringspirits.org. Different after you, you're going to be able to find um, my website is michelleneffhernandez.com. And the book will be launched from there. And more information about me speaking, writing, workshop presenting is all found there. You can also find us on social media. So Soaring Spirits on Twitter, we're on Facebook and Instagram. And I also just recently joined Clubhouse. So if any of you are on Clubhouse, look for Michelle Neff Fernandez. Okay, good. Let's <laughs> let's make sure we connect there. We can have yes. a whole conversation on Clubhouse. Beautiful. Okay, well, we'll finish it up with our uh, quote of the episode. We couldn't decide, so we picked two of them. The two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. Mark Twain. And sometimes in tragedy, we find our life's purpose by Robert Brault. Awesome. I love them both. Yes. All right. Thanks again, Michelle, for being in our show today. This has been an episode of Laugh at the Odds podcast with Heidi and Dave. Thank you for listening. Thanks so much for being here, Michelle. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Michelle. Please subscribe to our show and give us five stars and a positive review on Apple Podcasts. You can also find us on Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and YouTube. And don't forget to like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for Laugh at the Odds Podcast with Heidi and Dave. And remember to always laugh at the odds.